We're in the series called Chain Reaction, and it's this idea that when we came to Christ, it was an event in our life. It was something that God did in us. It happened in a moment, and that's not the end. We are supposed to be creating other events in other people's lives as we share our faith. Jesus said this. He said, I have come to seek and save the lost, and you being made right with God, that was a result of that. And then in Matthew 28, right before he goes back up to heaven, he looks at his disciples, essentially us, and he says, I want you to carry on this mission. And he says, I want you to go make disciples. That's not a suggestion. He said, go and make disciples. He didn't ask us as as if it were some opinion that he had. It was a command. You with me? Go and make disciples. Um, why didn't or, or why did he say something like that? Why did he say go and make disciples? Was, was Jesus an, just this egotistical guy that just wanted as many people as he could underneath him? I think a lot of people look at pastors that way or look look at churches that way. Get as many people as we can to say they're a Christian, or get as many people as we can to come into uh, this church building. I mean, what other reason why what would he have for doing it? Um, Jesus is not egotistical, but here's the thing: people are. <laughs> People are very egotistical. We, by nature, put ourselves first, try to get as many people sometimes to try to come into a specific church building, this one or that one, so we can rally them under the cool name of our church and tell people about how many people go here. Does that sound familiar? And and, and we can easily do that. But guys, that's not who Jesus is. In fact, that was never his intention. He wants us and all who will to come to him because he loves us and he knows the answer to our deepest need. The, the biggest need is that we'll, we're going to live forever one day somewhere, and he has the answer to our souls, this, this being unworthy of God, because we're not perfect. If you are perfect, raise your hand, and we'll worship you instead. But the fact is, I'm being facetious, we're not. None of us are perfect. And so Jesus has the answer. So it's not just a good option to share our faith. It's not a good option to have a chain reaction and make disciples. He commanded it. And get this, when he spoke, he had already paid the ultimate price to be able to command that and say it with authority. So when Jesus said it, we, we have to understand that we are to go out and make disciples and share our faith. And my prayer is through this series is that we'll understand that we're not Christians unless we're becoming more like Christ and obeying what he said do. And uh, that we'll be equipped to share our faith. And start a chain reaction of other people believing in Jesus Christ. And so we've been using this formula. Uh, if you didn't catch it, here it is on the screen. High potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum impact. And we're, we're going through each message talking about th- those specific things. Today we're going to be talking about clear communication. So just a quick recap. Let's, let's assume that you're a highly potent Christian. You've got the right message inside of you. You're living out your faith. And you're also living in close proximity uh, with a few unbelieving friends or people in your life that are unbelievers. Um, not in a way where they're influencing you, but in a way where you, you're influencing them and they are watching the Holy Spirit work in your life. There will come a time, if those two things are happening, where you're going to be asked a question, and it may go something like this. Why are you different? Why, what is up with, with the whole Christian thing? That may happen, and that's where clear communication comes in. We have to be ready to communicate clearly why we have the hope that we have. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, but in your, heart, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Don't miss that first sentence. Revere Christ as Lord. How? Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Now, let's just be honest with each other. This is the scariest one. I mean, I I can be 
highly potent. I can be good for people. I can, you know, live out the gospel. I can, I can even be intentional about hanging out with some unbelieving friends, but I can't tell them about Jesus. <laughs> That'd be weird. That, that might change the relationship. Is anybody following with me here? We all feel this. That might make things weird. And so for a lot of us, we settle into simply saying we're Christians, being highly potent, and maybe even having some close proximity to people that we work with, um, but we don't have a clear answer to give with words. And we're, we, we're not understanding, we're not making the correlation that we actually have to be able to clearly communicate why it is that we believe. Um, at the North Carolina Zoo in Asheboro, I don't know if, if any of you have ever been there, there's this gorilla exhibit. And uh, throughout the day, they have specific times they feed the gorillas, and the, the keeper of the gorillas, they do a question and answer session. And you can, you can really learn all kinds of facts and interesting things about gorillas if you're into that. Um, gorillas live in groups of up to 30 other gorillas. Did you know that? You didn't know that. There's always a one dominant gorilla in the group. He's a male gorilla called a silverback, um, and they call the shots. They, they figure out where they're going to hunt for food. They, he figures out which other gorillas he's going to mate with. Um, young gorilla males leave their own groups around age 11, and they start their own groups, and they, they go off. And gorillas, get this, gorillas can catch pneumonia. Who would have ever thought of that? Nobody would have thought that. Uh, and there's a lot more about these animals that you can find out by going to one of these question and answer sessions. Um, you want to know why they know all this stuff? Because they revere their jobs. <laughs> they, they, they revere, they take it seriously, and so they know how to communicate facts. Can you imagine going to one of these question and answer sessions and asking, well, how much does a gorilla eat every day? And, and the, the person goes, well, oh, I, I don't really know. You know what? Let's not talk about the gorillas. Let's just hang out. <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of keeper of the gorilla would, would, would that be? In everyday life, if you claim to dedicate your life to something, you revere it enough to be knowledgeable about it. You tracking with me? You, you make it who you are. Peter said this, if you revere Jesus Christ as Lord, then you'll be ready to clearly communicate a reason for the hope that you have. For anybody who asks, not because you need to look good, or not because you need to appear smart, or not because you, know, you, you want to appear to be something, but because you revere Jesus Christ as Lord. Why would gorilla keepers know so much and be ready to share facts? Because they revere their jobs. And they revere who they are, who they say they are. Why would Christians be ready to share their faith clearly with words and give a reason? Because Jesus commanded it and because we revere him as Lord. Is that making sense to you? Lee Strobel said this. He said, I've seen so many Christians that are willing, more than willing, to travel halfway around the world to volunteer for a week in an orphanage. But they can't bring themselves to take the personal risk of sharing Jesus with the coworker who sits beside them in the next cubicle every single day. And I'm not trying to beat us up, guys. Listen, I get it. It's tough. But I am praying for Holy Spirit boldness for all of us, for me included, so that we can complete this mission that God gave us. And not just hold it into ourselves, but to go out and share the gospel, to have this great commission in our hearts and go and make disciples like Jesus said. Say amen if you believe that. You know that research today says that 47% of millennials think that it's wrong to share your faith? That it's wrong. They, they're not necessarily saying that it's wrong to believe in God, but it's wrong to share your faith and try to get somebody else to believe too. They, they say it's wrong. And it's this, 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 this idea that is just sweeping through our culture that I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. You know, you believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, and however you want to live, just go for it, and I won't offend you, and you won't offend me. Does this sound familiar? But if we really believe the Bible is true, 
and we really believe that Jesus came to die for our sins and to save us from hell, then sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most compassionate thing you could ever do for somebody. So with the time that we have left, I want to give you three uh, approaches, if you will, to sharing your faith. Understanding that when you're highly potent, you've got the right message, you're living out your faith, and you're living in close proximity with unbelievers, there will come a time where somebody asks you or the conversation comes up for you to be able to clearly communicate for the hope that you have. And so I want to give you three different approaches. I want to put some tools in your bag so that when the time comes, you're ready. Ready, set, go, right? Number one, this is one approach, a confrontational approach. Now, when I say that right now, immediately a lot of you are like, you know what, that's not me. (laughs) I'm not going to be doing that. Because we immediately think of a street evangelist with a megaphone and hatred in their heart, don't we? That's what we, I have a friend of mine who was leaving a Panthers game last year, and he passed one of these guys on the sidewalk, and the guy pointed at him and said, you're going to hell. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) And he said his first thought was, dude, you've got the wrong stadium. The Cowboys play in Dallas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, he, he looked at the guy and his, his, was thinking, why would you say that to me? You don't know me. You have no idea about my story. Listen, that kind of approach is not helpful. And that's not the kind of, of approach I'm talking about. Uh, the best reference I can, I can use is Peter in the New Testament. He used this approach. Look, look how he used it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, get the scene. They had just crucified Jesus. Jesus went and rose, uh, went back to heaven, and the disciples come out, and it's the, kind of the first church service, if you will. Peter's preaching. He says this, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves already know, they had seen him, they heard about it, they knew. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, within the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And Peter, he was always direct, and his personality probably lended itself for him to have this approach and do it well. So it's no surprise that God used him in this way the day that the church was born. Uh, I have a friend named Doc Hobbs. He's actually been to this service a a few times. Um, His family attends church here, some of them. And Doc loves people. He's probably one of the most uh, probably the best confrontational evangelist, I guess if you call it that, uh, that, that there is. He was a missions director for years, and he went to the Philippines many times. And once when he was on his way back from the Philippines, he gets into this conversation with somebody in the airport. And he's giving it his all, and he's not backing down. And he's, he's telling them about Jesus. And the other missionary that was with him said, look, Doc, we're going to miss our plane. We need to wrap this up. And he, he looked at him and said, look, I'm just about to close this deal. You know, he's just, he's getting it. He's going. He's passionate about it. And, and finally, he says, look, you can stay in the Philippines if you want, but this gate's getting ready to close and we're going. And, and eventually, uh, Doc relented and went. But he has a passion for people knowing Jesus. And he loves to, to share Jesus this way. Now, it takes a special kind of person that is full of love to be able to approach people like this. Because if you're not full of love, then no one is ever going to take you seriously and and give you credit. Because there's so many people out there who are angry sounding and who are bossy. And I mean, even when they're rejected, they walk away feeling like it's some badge of honor that somehow they've suffered for Jesus. Like somehow being rejected for Jesus and being a jerk are the same thing. Trust me, they're not. Uh, But Doc, he, he does it with love. If you're around him 30 seconds, you know how much he loves people. 
Um, so as aggressive as he is, there's been person after person who Doc has talked to that has just melted and all in tears begin to ask him questions because they feel the love of Jesus coming off of him and they give their hearts and their lives to Jesus Christ right there, sometimes right on the spot. And, and by the way, that's how you know if this is an effective approach for you. Uh, look at the result Peter had when he confronted that huge crowd in those verses we just read. In verse 37, it says, When the people heard this, when they heard Peter, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There was no condemnation in his voice. There was a plea to repent, be saved. God loves you, and this is who Jesus was, and he, he died for you. The result was 3,000 people gave their hearts and lives to Jesus that very day, and they were baptized. This approach can work if you do it well. Uh, never be rude, but if someone is willing to listen to you, then be ready to share in that way if that's, if that's your personality and that's what you feel like God's called you to do. Can, can I give you a, a picture illustration to use? Maybe if you get in, in a restaurant or something and you get in this conversation with people. Um, we've got some technology here we're going to use. Hopefully it'll be on the screen. If it's not, I'll just describe it to you. Uh, but this is... Uh, if we can, if we can show it on the screen, I'm just going to wait. It's called the morality ladder, and basically, it's it's a ladder. And then t t tell me if you see it, but it's a ladder you draw, right? And it's got rungs on it. And at the very top of that ladder is God, okay? And at the very bottom is the most evil people you can imagine. And at, kind of at the very top of the ladder is the most uh, evangelistic people, the most holy people you can imagine. So just give me some names of some holy people in life that you feel like kind of go towards the top of the ladder close to God. Just throw some names out. Billy Graham, that's a good one. And so Mother Teresa is another one. There it is. This is the morality ladder. And, and God is way at the top, kind of up, way, way, way up here. Um, way, way up here. here. Here's God. And uh, Billy Graham is right here. I'm just going to put Billy Graham. And you, you can draw this on a napkin, really anywhere. Uh, Mother Teresa is another one. Um, and then uh, I, I always put myself, obviously, kind of way below them. I, I kind of put myself here um, because I know my place, right? And then there, there's some people that represent evil, kind of way at the bottom of this. And you, you can name the people, the mass murderers, the people that you think are just further away from God. And you can, you can kind of draw some initials. A lot of people will put Hitler or something like that. And you can kind of get them to say. And, and you kind of draw them down here. And then you pass it over and you say, well, where would you put yourself? Where would you put yourself? And typically, people will put uh, them right about here. It, it, they're not going to put themselves higher than you a lot of times, but a lot of times they'll put themselves right there a little bit lower, and, and they're, they're, you know, they're not as bad as everybody else, but they're not the best of the best, so they put themselves right there. And after that, I say, okay, where, did, where does God draw the line between heaven and hell? And they kind of stumble for a minute, and they kind of they say, well, um, it's, it's right here. <laughs> it, they're, they're not great, but they're not worse, and they kind of just get ready to go in. And, um, and, and what i got to always tell them is that, you know, that line doesn't exist there because the line is actually here. Because God demands perfection. And unless you're perfect, you will never get in by this morality ladder. There's no such thing in God's sight. But there's a man named Jesus that came to solve that gap, and he died on a cross and you can draw Jesus right here. And as long as you accept Jesus, he is your gap fulfiller. He connects you to Jesus Christ. 
And a lot of people, they, they look at this in life as a, as a morality ladder. Where am I at? I'm not as good as you. I'm, I'm, I'm not as bad as them. And we kind of judge on our worthiness of God based on that. But if they can kind of get this picture that, you know what, none of us are worthy of God. And Jesus is the gap fulfiller. He's the one that, that fills the gap. And that's, that's just a picture that you can use uh, when you're, if, you're, if you want to use the confrontational approach and you get in a conversation with somebody about Christ. It's a, it's a great, great, great picture illustration for you to use. That's the confrontational approach. There's many other ways you can do that. That's one. I wanted to put that in your bag of tools. Um, another approach is the intellectual approach. The intellectual approach. The Apostle Paul was a master at this. He could present the truth in a reasonable way, in an understandable way, and, and it fit his personality perfectly. Um, in Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul goes into this, into this synagogue uh, and in this city. It says, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah, which was Jesus, had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. And some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Now, maybe you're like that. Maybe you have this gift where you can just explain things in a way that's so reasonable that people just, they, they desire to know him just like you do. And you have to understand that when you do this, the Bible always backs itself up. You don't have to give opinions. You don't have to try to figure this out for yourself. Always stand on the word of God. If this is the approach that you're going to use. There are thousands of prophecies throughout the scriptures that have been fulfilled, predictive prophecies that have been fulfilled, every single one of them, that far outweigh anybody who could ever prophesy anything or try to predict anything. In fact, a lot of the human beings that have tried to predict things, that they try to build a case against Christ Jesus, um, a lot of, first of all, hardly any of them have come true. And the ones that have are so vague and so vast in meaning that it, it's literally like uh, it, it could have meant anything. It's up for interpretation. Um, but there are prophecies. Paul used the scriptures to be able to prove that Jesus was God's son, to prove that. And there are some people in your life and in mine who they really want to believe. But before they can, they have valid questions that they need answered. Valid questions. Why, why should I believe that Jesus is God's son? Why should I believe that the Bible is true? Why should I believe that it's real? Now, not everybody uh, has to be reached this way, but there are those that do. And God certainly reaches them through Christians who are ready, studied up, and prepared to go. Uh, in modern times, God has used people like Josh McDowell. Um, he wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, maybe you've heard of a guy named Lee Strobel who wrote The Case for Christ. Both of these men, believe it or not, very smart individuals um, who didn't believe at all. And they actually set out on a, on a course to disprove Christianity and in the process of doing so came to the conclusion that the Bible was real, that God was real, that everything that it says was true and that Jesus was the Son of God. They, they studied themselves right into believing. Um, and I highly recommend both of these men and their work. And so if you feel like you're a studier, if you feel like you, know, you could take this intellectual approach, then I would say it's called that for a reason. Study. Study up. And make sure you're ready maybe for somebody in your life that needs to be reached this way. Um, the third one is this. It's called the testimonial approach. And you know what this is? This is basically when you tell your story. There is nothing more powerful than a life that's changed. 
and you begin to share what God is doing in your life. Maybe I've been talking through these other two approaches, and you're like, you know what? That could never work for me. I, I can't, I, I'm not the person that's going to draw a ladder on a napkin. I'm not the person that's going to get confrontational in an airport. I love people, but that's just not my personality. Maybe it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm, I, I'm a smart person, but I'm just, I'm not with the facts and the figures and the this and that and proving this. Then, but this one works for everybody. You want to know why? Because everybody has a story to tell. Everybody. Your story will always be credible. Listen, it will always be believable because it's yours, because it happened to you. There may be some that want to argue your opinion. They want to argue theology, but they'll never be able to argue your experience because it happened. In John chapter 9, there's a blind man who's been blind from birth, and he is a beggar. And typically in this day and time, if you had some sort of deformity or, or you were blind or deaf or mute, that how you made a living is you begged. And there were people outside the city gates and inside the city gates that, that would beg. People would come by and throw money at them, um, and that's how they made their living. That's how they would get by with food. And so there was a guy who was blind from birth, and Jesus comes by, and Jesus heals him. And it got people kind of freaked out because they would see him and they knew he was blind. He was blind from birth. Everybody knew him. And they said, hey, aren't, aren't you the, well, no, you can't be him. You can see. What happened to you? And they said, well, Jesus healed me. This guy, Jesus, healed me. Now I'm, I'm, I, I can see. And, and some people in the community took this guy to the Pharisees, which was the religious leaders of the day. Now, the Pharisees hated Jesus. And so they began to question this guy. And they said, what happened to you? He said, well, this guy healed me, and I was blind, but now I'm seeing. Understand, this, this blind beggar was looked at as a sinner by them. Something must have had to happen in his life or his parents' life really bad in order for him to be born blind. So that's how they looked at it. So these religious leaders were scoffing at him and saying, what happened to you? He's saying, Jesus healed me. And they said, well, well how, how did they heal him? They were all kind of, kind of confused. They, they brought in the guy's parents, and they're like, is this your son? And they're, yeah, he's, he's our son. And then what happened to him? Was he born blind? Yeah, he was born blind. And, and they, they couldn't, they wanted to discredit Jesus so bad. They wanted to discredit him, but they kept questioning. And they said, well, well, who is he? What happened to him? And his parents said, you ask him. He, he can tell you. They were really scared. They didn't know what was going to happen. And so they, they brought him in again for the second time. And they're, they're like, how is it that you can see? What, what do you think that Jesus is? And he said, he's a prophet. And so they, they bring him in, and it's interesting, this answer he gives them, in, in the, when, when it's fearful, they don't know what he, they're going to do to him. In verse 24, it says, a second time they summoned the man in who'd been born blind, and they said, give glory to God by telling the truth. And they said, we know he's a sinner, talking about Jesus. And then he's, this is what the guy said, bottom line. Look, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. There's just one thing I do know, that I was blind, but now I can see. The, the highest religious leaders of the day, jerks, <laughs> tried to discredit Jesus, tried to discredit him, but they couldn't get past his experience because it was his. They, they couldn't get past what really happened because it was his story. It was credible. It was believable because it happened to him. I love his answer. I don't have a list of theological things to tell you. I don't know a bunch of doctrine. I'm not even sure who Jesus is, but I know what happened to me. And I can tell you that all of you have a story to tell. All of you have a moment in your life where you were without Christ, um, a moment where you accepted him, and you're on this journey now. And we're all on different paces. We all have different paths we're walking, but we're all on this, this one giant path together called a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's a story to be told by each of you. And it's credible, and it's believable, because it's yours. Maybe you weren't born blind. 
Uh, but Jesus changing your life is a miracle. And, and you can use your story to help people see him. And so I just want to challenge you. Maybe you're not a confrontational person in terms of, you know, using that as an approach. Maybe you're not a person that would say, I, I want to dive in and, and just, you know, be able to prove through the scriptures, even though I feel like we all should go into that at least knee deep and be ready. But your story is impactful. And I want to challenge you to prepare your story. It doesn't have to be a novel, but you need to use the same kind of template that this blind man did. This is where I was before I met Christ. This is when I met him. And this is how Jesus is changing me now. This is where I was before I met Christ. This is what happened when I met Jesus. And this is how Jesus is changing me now. And, and prepare a two-minute version of it. If you think about a long elevator ride, what could you say in that, in that two minutes that could impact somebody's life? Um, because God is going to give you opportunities to tell it if you prepare it. And when he does... There are going to be some people that may argue a little bit about the theology. They might try to argue about what this says or that doesn't say. But they're not going to be able to argue about a changed life. They're just not. This is who I was. This is when I met Jesus. And this is how he's changing my life now. And I'll tell you this. When you begin to do that, you're going to plant seeds. And they won't be able to get away from that either. They'll walk away from that just like these Pharisees did. When that guy unlearned a blind beggar, they looked at him as a sinner. But he said, listen, I, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know. This is what I know. I was blind, but now I see. And they could not refute it. And I don't know how many people, the Bible doesn't say, how many people actually heard that testimony and became believers that day. But I bet there were some. I bet there were. How many people could God use you to impact because you tell your story? So which approach best fits you? I want you to think about that. Which approach best fits you? The confrontational approach, the intellectual approach, or the testimonial approach, your story? Uh, can I say this? Um, the longer you're with Jesus Christ and the more you commit yourself to, to reading his word and understanding his word and being a learner in relationship with him, um, there'll be a mix of all three of these things. There'll be some boldness that you have that the Holy Spirit puts in you to be able to touch on all three. Now, there's, there are times where one kind of favors the other because that's just your personality and God will use it. But God will use you in all three of these ways if you'll let him. He will. This I know. Jesus commanded us, go and make disciples. Uh, and when you're a highly potent Christian who lives in close proximity to unbelievers, the conversation will come up. It will. What, what's up with you? What's up with this whole Christian thing? And when it does, as Peter said, we need to do this. Revere Christ Jesus as Lord and be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. You following with me? Can we pray? Let's pray together. God, we're grateful for you and we're grateful for your son Jesus that died for us. Lord, we're living this life here on earth until we leave this place. Your word is so clear. And if it wasn't written in your word, we'd just see it. We're, we're not going to live here forever. <laughs> Everybody dies at one time or another. Um, so God, while we're here on this earth, you, you gave us a commission to go and make disciples, to share our faith. And Lord, my prayer is that as we've read your word today and as we've talked about some of these different approaches, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you would just confirm in us and, and start us on a path. Give us direction about how we go about doing this sharing the love of Jesus through what you're doing in our lives, whether it be uh, through somebody that we don't know and we just kind of hit them with, with some facts. Maybe we share the drawing. I, I don't know. 
or maybe some, for some of the people that have studied really hard about some of the, the scriptures and the prophecies and the, and the why this and why that, and they're able to kind of hit it from an intellectual way, or if, it's, if we're just armed with our own story and, and somebody that we know says, hey, what's, what's going on? Tell me about what's happening with you. Why, why do you go to church? And we're able to just simply tell our story. And, and God, whatever of those three or all of them um, that, that we use, that you help us with, Lord, our prayer is that people actually accept you. And that's the reason why we do it, is that people will turn from what they are doing and have an encounter with you and begin living their lives in relationship with you, Jesus. It's amazing to me that you even use us to do it, as imperfect as we all are. But God, you, you love to include us in the things that matter the most to you. You're not a far off God. At, at your very heart, your whole mission is to seek and save lost people. And you want to include us in that because you love us so much. And I pray, God, that we would grasp onto that and make our Heavenly Father proud and be willing to sacrifice ourselves to be able to go out and make disciples as you commanded us to do so that we can call ourselves Christians, Christ followers, being like Christ and be proud of that. If there's some of us in the room or maybe some listening online today that Maybe you have never accepted Christ, or maybe you, you did a long time ago, and maybe you've kind of turned the other way, and, and you would say today, I, I need him. I need to get my life back on track. Those are some of the phrases that we typically say. And I want you to know, Jesus sees your heart right now. He sees your need, and he sees you crying out on the inside. Maybe nobody else even knows it, and he's saying, today is the day. Just accept me. There's nothing crazy you have to do in terms of walking an aisle or, or, or changing drastically. He's saying, leave that stuff to me. Leave the change to me. You just bring, bring your stuff to me and say yes to me. And if that's you today, I just want to give you the opportunity to do that as we pray together. Would you be bold and say this prayer with me and mean it in your heart? God, I need you. I'm, I'm an imperfect person, and I've got a void on the inside of me. Maybe nobody knows about it, but I feel it every day. And I, I know that you're calling me, and I'm saying yes to you right now. I believe that Jesus is your son that you sent here to this earth to sacrifice for me, to pay a penalty that I couldn't pay. And I say yes to him. I believe that he really died for me and shed innocent blood for me. I believe that he really died and he really rose from the grave through your power. And I'm going to go to heaven one day because of that. I say yes to him. So today I commit my life to you. And I just give all the authority to you for the decision making in my life. Help me, guide me. I'm not perfect, but I'm starting today in you. And I pray all that in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen with me together? Amen. Look at me real fast before we go. If you prayed that prayer, would you be bold enough to take that Connect card that Cassie talked about earlier? There's a place on there that says, I prayed to receive Christ. And I, my prayer is that you just check it. Check that, that little box. And on the way out today, the ushers will be there. Just drop it off. Can we do this? We haven't done this yet. Can we just give a hand for everybody who said yes to Jesus right now? Can we just do that? Yeah, I kind of want to make a habit of that because that's something we should celebrate. This whole series is about 
is about bringing people to Christ and being a, a part of that. And so if you did that, I want you to, we want to know about it. We want to surround you. We want to help pray for you and make some of, some next steps available for you uh, so that you can know about them. But we won't know unless you, unless you check that box. So let us know. Take that next step. Uh, if you're here for the very first time today or you've been around maybe for a little while, uh, for about a month or so, I just want to say thank you guys for, for coming to the bridge um, right after the service in the lobby. Uh, we're going to be wearing these shirts, these home shirts. Um, our staff's going to be out there. We want you to take just 15 minutes or less, and we just want to tell you about us and hear from you just put faces with names and just a way for you to con just start a connection with our church. I uh, will have some snacks available for you too. I love you guys so much and I want you to have a great week. Take one of these approaches and watch what God does as he gives you opportunities to be able to share your faith. You ready? Let's go.